Friends, I typically have an issue preaching 20 minutes when there's six verses to preach on, and today there's 150. So, I pray the Lord be with you. Yes, thank you for that. Friends, today we're going to talk about the cross. And to help me talk about the cross, I'm going to use an illustration I learned from my friend Brian Zond, who learned it from his friend Brad Jerzak, who learned it from his friend, an Orthodox priest named Anthony Scarbo, and it's called the Gospel in Chairs. Has anyone ever seen or heard of the Gospel in Chairs? Okay. Well, these are the chairs. And today we're going to talk about the cross, which is what this passion narrative is all about. The cross resists, I think, often the way we like to preach because we like eight verses or ten verses or twelve verses that we can dissect and explain, and you just heard 150, and there's no way I can possibly preach every verse here today. Well, there is, but then you'd miss dinner. So instead, let's talk about why did Jesus have to die, how does a cross work, and what's going on? There's a story out there that the cross is God's solution to solve God's problem of how God can forgive sinners. Have you heard the story? This is not the story we heard today in Luke. The cross is better than that. The cross is better than some legal solution to appease God's legal problem of His justice and His holiness and the wrath He has on those who don't perform according to His standard. And so the cross then becomes the way that God satisfies His justice so that He can give love. God is better than that. The cross is better than that. The cross reveals a pursuing, relentless, sacrificial God of love. The cross reveals in all its horror as well who we are. The cross reveals who God is and who we are. It's a picture of God's love, a mirror of our evil and sin, and a doorway into eternal life. Will you see your sin on the cross today? Will you receive God's tender, relentless, pursuing love revealed on the cross today? So the gospel I grew up with the gospel I mentioned is sort of a, a modern invention, actually. It has modern notions of justice and law. And it goes something like this. Maybe, you can, maybe you've heard this before. Uh, there's elements of truth in it. Um, God, represented by the white chair, God is uh, holy and loving and perfect, and He decides to create humans. And he decides to create humans in his image and his likeness so that they can be with him and glorify him forever. God puts them in the garden, gives them access to his resources and his personhood, and commissions them to be image bearers. So far, so good. Humans, though, however, decide to disobey God's commands, and they 
eat from the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. God, who is holy and just, cannot look upon the sin of humans, and so God turns away from them, kicking them out of the garden, and they are increasingly, as the gospel story shows, more and more, the biblical story shows, estranged from God. There is this chasm or gap that humanity's sin, time to make the donuts, <laughs> humanity's sin uh, creates with God, yeah? Are you tracking? Are you with me on this? And so, <clears throat> God decides to rectify this. God decides to become human and to become a perfect human who can fulfill God's law and God's standard and is at one and at home with God. And God is pleased to lay on this human Jesus all of the sin, all of the penalty, all of his wrath at the injustice of humanity on the cross. And so Jesus then becomes abandoned by God, stricken with our sin, with our curse. He takes the curse upon himself, and because he's accursed, all of our sin is laid out upon him. God then once again abandons him there. Now, because Jesus has paid the penalty, the price of our sin, we, through trusting Jesus, can be brought back into a right relationship with God because we have our debt paid. We have God's standard met. God's justice and holiness has been satisfied. You tracking? Let's pray. <laughs> this is the gospel I grew up with. It's the gospel that um, brought me to faith in Jesus. Uh, I want to suggest that uh, there's enough elements of truth in it to be helpful, but ultimately it is not the most helpful picture of the God that Jesus reveals. Or of the scriptures we read today. So what I'd like to do is start over. I said that this, what I just did is kind of a modern legal representation of the gospel, and I would like to share with you a more ancient church father, restorative vision of not only God's justice, but also of God's love and how the cross works. What's going on there? Why, do, why did Jesus die for us? It's happening. And I do it, uh, I could do it through the whole biblical story, but I decided we just take the text we read today and I'd walk you through it. And we'll see if the first way I represented God and Jesus, if it holds with what we see actually happening in the gospel. <laughs> so here's, here's like a little rubric or test. If the gospel we've received doesn't make sense of the gospel we read, then maybe we need to question the gospel we've received. If, 
If God behaves and acts somehow differently than Jesus behaves and acts, but Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, maybe we need to reconsider the image and picture of God that we have. So, same thing. God decides to create humans. This is the the better cross and the better gospel. God decides to create humans in His image and His likeness because He's good and loving. And He wants, part of love is to share and create, to make space, to give, to give is to love. So He creates humans in His likeness and His being. And He gives them all this domain and agency and dominion in the garden. And he says, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat that. Not because God has one law as a test, but because God understands that the only way for life for these people is that they would trust him for good and evil, not to reach out and grab it for themselves. But they decide to eat the tree of the garden, to turn away from God. And here's where things get a little different. Because God's response to human sin isn't to turn away from them. God's response to human sin is to pursue them, to come after them, to make them clothes, to keep them from an eternal existence apart from himself, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever in this state. They need to leave. And what we see, if I had six hours, throughout the entire Old Testament, God pursuing Israel over and over, marking Cain so that he would be safe, etc., etc. So today, then, we see, we'll pick up in our text... The Lord's Supper. Jesus is God incarnate, and He's pursuing His friends, and He's telling them about the Passover and how the Passover actually is fulfilled in Him, that He is a sacrificial lamb, that His blood is going to be spread over Israel. He's going to give His life to protect them from death. That's what blood means, friends. And what do the disciples do? Well, Jesus mentions that, like, he's going to be betrayed. And so they start saying, oh, I wonder who that's going to be. It's not going to be me. Well, how do you know? Because I'm the greatest. That's how I know. And so his friends begin turning away from Jesus and begin asserting sort of their greatness, their how good they are. They can't possibly do the sin Jesus is talking about. And Jesus because he's holy and just and can't look upon their sin, turns away from them. Is that how the story goes? We have to look to Jesus to see who God is like, or else we get God wrong, the cross wrong, and the gospel wrong. No, Jesus says, hey, friends, you don't understand greatness. Let me help you understand this again. To be great in my kingdom is to be like a child, a servant, right? I'm, I'm among one you serve. I'm revealing God as a serving, accommodating, emptying God, right? This is what we do. And, and in this service, in this love, I'm going to give you a kingdom, and it's going to be incredible. And Peter says, yes, we're going to make Israel great again. <laughs> and Jesus says, 
No, Peter, what's actually going to happen is you're going to betray me when the cock crows three times. You, you, you don't understand. You understand? Things are going to get really scary, really scary. Like they're going to come after you. So, like, this isn't tiptoon through tulips in Samaria now. you got to, like, have a cloak. They're going to want to number me among the transgressors. So, like, get a sword. And the disciples were like, we've got two swords. Let's storm Jerusalem. And Jesus says, two swords is enough. It's enough. No more swords. Just, <laughs> that's enough swords. That's enough. So he takes them out into the garden And he says, I want you to be with me in this scary, intense, fearful, crazy time. Will you watch and pray with me? And they're like, sure, snore. And Jesus, because he's holy and just and because he can't look upon sin, calls down fire on them. The cross is better than that, friends. The gospel's better than that, friends. So Jesus, what he does is he says, please stay awake, listen. This is a dark hour. Things are scary. Dial in. Be with me. Be with me right here. He's trying to call them back in, and as he's doing that, this mob shows up, right, with swords and clubs. Now, there's like so many rabbit trails I could go in explaining this to you, and I, don't, I just don't have time. I've actually used more time than I already have, so I'm trading on your graces right now. But they, they come with swords and clubs to arrest him, And his friend Judas is going to betray him with a kiss. And Jesus, one last time, pursues Judas again and says, Judas, reckon with what you're doing. Do you really want to do this? And Judas says, yes. And then Jesus, who's called his disciples to wake up, they grab one of their two swords, and not having really realized that Jesus wasn't saying two can storm, two, two swords isn't the point, they take the sword and they strike off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus says, you think that's bad? Just wait until I reveal how bad your sin really is on the cross and how much more your whole body is going to burn in hell. So when you look at that ear hole... Just know that's what your sin has merited. Is that what he does? Friends, the cross is better than that. And God is better than that. And the gospel is better than that. Jesus works for healing and restoration with his enemies. Heals the ear. And heals the disciples' understanding of what he's doing. This is not how we bring deliverance to Israel. And so Jesus is led away. He's mocked and scourged by the scribes and high priests. And Peter is in the courtyard. He's following Jesus. Did you hear that? But he's following Jesus at a distance. And three times, Peter denies Jesus, and Peter denies Jesus, and Peter denies Jesus. And how you imagine the look of Jesus to Peter says a lot about how you imagine God. Is it a shaming look? An I told you so look? 
is the look your mother gave you when she caught you eating the Oreos in the pantry again? You know, with the one eyebrow raised, that look? I mean, maybe if the cross is about God getting his wrath appeased so he can find a way to love horrible people like us. But is that what God is? Is that what the cross is about? Jesus pursues Peter. After he'd been whipped and scourged all night, all night he was spit upon and whipped. All night. And he just looks at Peter. Pursues Peter. And Peter runs away and cries. Now, we, we don't have time, but Jesus pursues Peter too, right? John 21, he comes back pursuing him. And when he comes back pursuing him, he makes sure to explain to him that his sin was so heinous that he should have burned in hell, but praise be to me that I paid your penalty and died for you, so now you can get out of that boat and come do the work I told you to do and just every day be thankful that you're not burning in hell for what you did. Let's pray. The gospel is better than that. The cross is better than that. And God is better than that. All through the trial, friends, these, these people who want to kill Jesus, he keeps facing them. There's amazing moments where they say, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, well, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you questions, you won't answer them. And they say, just tell us plainly you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, that's what you're saying. And they say, see? The picture we get, friends, is that the religious leaders, the high priest, Pilate, Herod's a little ambiguous, but they all know that Jesus is who he says he is. Pilate even says it three times. He's innocent. He hasn't done this stuff. Clearly, he's not done what you said. But this is the logic of the world. This is the way humans are. This is our sin that we're sinning into Jesus, right? This is how he bears our sins. They scapegoat him. They kill him. Jesus keeps facing people, keeps pursuing them. Even on the cross, there's two people hanging with Jesus. And one person mocks Jesus. And the other person rebukes that person. And Jesus proclaims salvation to that criminal in that moment. Healing, restoration. Friends, the cross isn't solving God's problem of how he can come to love people that don't deserve it. The cross reveals a God who has always been and continues to be a God of love who pursues us relentlessly, ruthlessly to his very death to bring us back into relationship with him, to call us out of our world of pride and self-preservation and abuse and mockery and, and, and shame and fear, and lethargy, and greed, and do his kingdom of love. The cross reveals a God of love and a kingdom of love. So why did Jesus die? Jesus died to reveal who God is. He's a God who keeps his covenant promises. He would rather die 
than break covenant. It also reveals who we are. Jesus bore our sins. Every imaginable sin you could think of is in these 150 verses. Friends, enemies, frenemies, <laughs> all of them. All these sins, they send them into Jesus and Jesus just absorbed them, took them, was silent, didn't defend himself, and then allowed himself to be scapegoated up onto a cursed stake and mocked even there. So in Jesus' crucifixion, we see who we are. We see the depths of our junk, but we also see the depths of who God is the depths of his love. God is better than what you've been told. The cross is better than what you've been told. So how do we respond to this, friends? How do we say yes to the cross? How do we believe in the cross? Well, you don't have to explain how it works. I mean, I've just named a few ways that the cross is working, but the cross is a mystery, and your salvation isn't dependent upon how well you can explain a mystery. Our salvation is dependent upon our willingness to trust that God is revealed on the cross, we are revealed on the cross, and if we confess that what's on the cross is true about God and us, and confess allegiance to Jesus as Lord, we are saved. So let's, uh, let's respond then to this good news about who God is and who we are. We're going to confess the lordship of Jesus, ask for mercy. We, uh, we express solidarity in everything that led up to his death, the pride, the betrayal, the violence, the fear, the ridicule, the abuse, the self-preservation, manipulation, the controlling games. So many games are being played with Pilate, Herod, you know that weird thing about them becoming friends then? Um, uh, there's like 40 minutes of teaching just to like begin to understand how, how they became friends there and what friends means. It doesn't mean like they get together on the weekends and play Xbox. It means that they are associates. They're in cahoots. That's what it means. So something about what Herod did to Jesus and how he sent him back to Pilate allowed Pilate to do what he did to Jesus without getting in trouble from the Romans and without letting a Jewish riot break out, which that had already happened a number of times, and if it happened again, Pilate was dead. All kinds of, I mean, you think House of Cards is political intrigue. This is House of Cards stuff. The cross reveals all our sin, and we, friends, not the Jews, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. We did. Not the Romans. We did. So we affirm the Lordship of Jesus. We ask for His mercy because we see ourselves in the sin on the cross. So let's use this prayer in our booklet. You'll notice that we did, didn't do our confession of sin today the way we normally do, but we're going to do it now. So I invite you, if you are able, take a, a posture of uh, humility that could be kneeling, that could be laying on your face. 
And here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, pray this prayer together in the beginning, the bold, most merciful God, we're going to pray all that together, and then we're going to leave space, and each of us are going to fill in specifics. We're, con- we're naming the sin that we see on the cross, and maybe it's something that you feel particularly uh, complicit with, or maybe it's something that grieves you deeply because others around you are dying of it. So we, it's either a sin of omission or commission, a sin of doing or not doing. And then you'll say, Lord, we confess to you, and we'll all say, have mercy on us. And we'll do that for a season, okay? And then I'll close, and then I'll, I'll, I'll prompt us to close with the closing. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Join me in the closing part of this prayer. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Friends, receive the absolution, the assurance of forgiveness. Almighty God, have mercy on you and forgive you all of your sins. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Friends, the service is over. The the worship is beginning. The worship is over. The service is beginning. Yeah. Receive the benediction. Friends, into a world of violence, shame, and fear, into a world where Everyone, even those who claim the name of Christ, feel separated and distant from God. Go in this ruthless, relentless, pursuing love of Jesus. Go staring people in the face, communicating his deep commitment and solidarity with them, not only to save them, but also in their pain and evil and brokenness. Go bearing that beauty and the goodness of the cross, the good news of God's love to a world that desperately needs it. Go now and follow Christ in obedience. Have the same mind as was in Christ Jesus. Keep your ears open to God's blessings and teaching. Be humble, even in the face of hostility, and do not turn back. And may God help you and keep you from disgrace. May Jesus Christ lead you through gates of justice. And may the Holy Spirit keep you in God's steadfast love and fill your mouths with praise to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.